Uh, Let's consider now the Word of God. Mark chapter 10 and a message I call, Of such is the kingdom. Of such is the kingdom. Verse 13. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. Today in our message, we're going to see two scenes joined together in Mark's gospel by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Uh, No doubt they were joined together as... Uh, They actually occurred. They were so significantly joined together that all three of the synoptic gospels, we call them. And we call them that because Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a synopsis, an overview, if you will, of the life of Jesus. Whereas John's gospel simply picked out scenes, different scenes, and his interaction with different people. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke gave us a synopsis of the life of Jesus, all three of the synoptic gospels put these two events together back to back. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to notice that. And I hope by the end of today's message you'll understand why. There's a scene then, obviously, where people were bringing little children to Jesus. And the word that is used there for little children could mean babies, infants, toddlers, Uh, All the way up to what we might call the learners, little children, little children. And then it's followed by this scene, verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Little children brought to Jesus An incredible example of people who are beneficiaries of God's grace. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. He had material success because he was wealthy. He had spiritual success because he was a ruler, a ruler of a synagogue. The little children had nothing to offer Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. The rich young ruler had a lot to offer, at least so his religious beliefs, the predominant views of Judaism at the time, would have told him. 
The disciples shooed the families and the little children away. And the Bible says Jesus was greatly displeased. You could read that indignant. He was greatly displeased when he saw the disciples shooing these families away. Nobody shooed the rich young ruler away. Mm-mm. Both of these were loved by Jesus. The little children and this wealthy young man, they were loved by Jesus. The children left blessed. The ruler left sorrowful. One is an absolute story of the grace of God. One is an absolute story of man's goodness. Again, you see, in the Jewish beliefs of the day, a man who was blessed with wealth, a man who was a child of Abraham, a man who was keeping the law, that, that person was assured of a place in heaven. But Jesus confronted that thinking directly. Notice in verse 23, even emphatically, man had gone away, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. They were incredulous. They were amazed. Why? Because that confronted everything they had thought, everything they had been taught, everything they believed. You're a child of Abraham. You keep the law. You're blessed of God with wealth. You're going to heaven. And in their astonishment, then they asked to Jesus, ask a statement to Jesus, who then can be saved? But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished. There it is saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible. You ought to think on that a little while. Salvation is not difficult for men to accomplish on their own. It is impossible. But thank God what is impossible with men is at the end of the story because with God... All things are possible. See, Jesus explained it very plainly for us. The reason why it was difficult for those who have riches to go to heaven is because they can easily cross the line. And the line is, as this man did, and they end up trusting in their riches. And that's exactly what Jesus clarified. He said it once that it's difficult for a person with riches to go to heaven and Then he clarified that. He said it's because it's difficult for those who trust in riches. And therefore Jesus' statement about riches and wealth has to be seen within this context. of His address to a young man who made this approach to Jesus. But his whole concept then of this made it impossible for him to go to heaven. This astonished the disciples. 
So we have this amazing passage of Scripture before us today. We have two stories. Little children who had nothing that they could offer, could do nothing. But Jesus says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. They're in the kingdom. But here's a rich young ruler who seems to have everything going for him. And Jesus says, he's not in the kingdom. Interesting stories. Profound teachings for us today. Since it's two stories, of course, we'll consider them under two headings. And the first is a story of God's grace. Of such is the kingdom of God. Of this kind, of such means of this kind. Jesus wasn't just saying that these little children that they were bringing to Him were uh, uh, constituent parts of the kingdom. They were a part of the kingdom and no other children were. That's not the teaching. He says of this kind, of such is the kingdom. The clear implication of what Jesus says in this passage profoundly says is that these little kingdom or little children were a part of the kingdom. And he goes on to emphasize it and says this, unless you receive the kingdom on the same basis that they get the kingdom, you don't go to heaven. You're not in it. He went further then and put his hands on them and blessed them. And let's remember, Jesus never pronounced a blessing on anyone outside his kingdom. Never. All he had for those outside his kingdom was rebuke. So how did these little infants, how did these babies, how did these little toddlers receive the kingdom? It wasn't by faith. Because they're not capable of faith. Not capable of believing. Many have suggested that little ones like this are in a state of innocence. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, Psalm 51 and 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth or born in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51 and 5. Romans 5 and 12 puts it this way, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, For that all have sinned. If it was true that little babies, little infants were in a state of of innocence and therefore were a part of the kingdom, then there would be no death for them. The Bible very clearly says, While one man sinned under the world and death by sin. It is a tragic reality that infants die. Little babies die. The wages of sin is death. I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So Jesus did not say these little children were sinless. He did not say they were in a state of innocence. Neither did he say to them, You know, if y'all would take these babies over to the disciples and let them sprinkle some water on them and baptize them, then you could bring them back to me and I'd bless them. 
multitudes of people in the religious world. I'm not speaking down on anybody today. I'm just showing you this would have been a great time for Jesus to have implemented the idea of infant baptism. But He did not do that. And neither will you find infant baptism taught anywhere in the Word of God. Nowhere. If there would have been a place for it, though, this would have been a great place. Instead, Jesus was livid, incensed, upset, greatly displeased because the disciples were shooing these away. And instead, he said, you bring them to me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he took them up in his arms and put his hand on their head and blessed them. Why would he do that? Because they were in the kingdom. He could bless them without reservation or qualification. So if this is true of, of infants, of, of, of little ones, of, of, of those little children, then what happens? What happens? Well, first of all, of all, and I'm sorry to have to say this today, but it's the truth. Many babies die. Not just a few. Many never make it out of the womb. Many never grow to an age of moral accountability. They never get to the place where they can understand. This passage shows us then very clearly that all such children, regardless of their age, because you and I well know that some of them might be 30 or 40 years old, but in their mind and in their heart, they're still just a little child. And they'll never, never get out of that. Never. This passage then shows us in a very clear manner that such children, regardless of their age then, are safe in the arms of Jesus. And I said that very plainly, and I want to emphasize it again by saying it again. They are safe in the arms of Jesus of such is the kingdom of heaven, then they're a part of His kingdom. And how is that possible? Only one way. They are there by God's amazing grace. Babies who die then, little ones who haven't reached that time of moral accountability, they are with Jesus in heaven. And if we believe that, and we very much do, the babies and young children who die before they reach the age of accountability are in the kingdom and they go straight to heaven. If we believe that, and we do, then it is entirely possible that there are more of them in the kingdom than any others. Think about how many millions, billions possibly, of babies and little children 
have died either in the womb or shortly after being born or in those early childhood years. Just think of how many. No wonder Jesus was upset. Of such is the kingdom. We think then of all the, the miscarried babies, the aborted babies. Yes, those who died throughout history, they go to heaven. How, why do we believe it? Jesus said it. Of such is the kingdom of heaven, and he blessed them. But then there's the other side of that thing. So you say, well, what happens? And obviously some will die, and when they do, they'll, they'll be in heaven with Jesus. They're, they go to, they're safe in the arms of Jesus. But then there's the other side of them. Many of them don't die that early. And there will come a time when the Holy Spirit then convicts them of their sin. And we know this happens to every child. I can't explain it. I don't know how God does it. But I take God at His word. God said in John chapter 1 and verse 9 that Jesus is the true light. And notice, He lighteth or giveth light to every man that cometh into the world. How does He do that? I don't know. I don't know. But He does. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And I know there's all kinds of arguments and all kinds of questions and all kinds of issues because obviously somebody in Cabot, Arkansas gets a whole lot more revelation than somebody who might be in the darkness of idolatry over in India. I understand that. I don't know how it all works out. I, I don't. I, I just take the Bible at its word. And therefore I believe that in the life of every person there will come that time when they, under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, are given some light, some revelation. And unfortunately, many of them were rejected. And at least part then of what Romans chapter 1 is talking about would apply in this situation because... Romans 1.21 says that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made light to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So while there was a time when those children are safe, there will also come a time. Uh, we don't know when, but God does time when they receive revelation, a time when they are under conviction. And according to Romans chapter 1, verse 21, they become wise. <laughs> but at the same time, God help many people around this world become fools. They're old enough to understand. They're accountable to God. They choose their sin and they turn away from the Savior. That happens. And so we say this morning, little children are not saved. Don't get that point. They're not. They're safe, but they're not saved. Neither are they innocent, but they are safe in the arms of Jesus. They're in the kingdom. And if they die in that state, they'll go to heaven. But for many multitudes, they become wise and they turn away and they reject the Revelation God has given them. But that's not always the case. 
There's the other side. Others will respond to that conviction of sin. They will admit their sin and they will come with nothing to God except their sinful self. To the God of grace that loves them. To Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. And they will be then gloriously and eternally saved. That's how it plays out. Knowing this, I cannot think of anything more significant for any parent to do than to keep your children under the Word of God, to have them coming to church and sitting under gospel preaching and gospel teaching, to live it before them so that you're giving them every opportunity and your considerable power and influence to come to know Jesus Christ and believe on Him that they might be saved. It won't matter how good a ball player he is if they die and go to hell. It won't matter how much education they have if they reject Jesus Christ. There is no more significant task. Nothing. Everything else really just pales behind this one. I want to see my child then when he reaches that state of moral accountability and the Holy Spirit begins to convict him. I want to see him trust him and be saved. I'm glad I can say I had my kids in church every time the doors were open. (laughs) You say, well, you're the preacher. (laughs) Uh, You know what? My mom and daddy did that for me. They raised me that way. We need to think, folk, about what a tremendous responsibility we have. What a great effort that we need to make and how much time that we need to give. It's a tragedy of unspeakable proportion if parents get busy indulging all their children's whims, whatever they are, and they let these pivotal moments pass. I want to remind you, parents, those years pass faster than you can imagine. Years of their safety Thank God that the Bible gives it to us. We're so thankful for this incredible passage before us where Jesus uh, just took up those little children and blessed them and told us of such is the kingdom of heaven. We're so thankful for that. But we also acknowledge those times pass quickly. Use them well. It's a story of God's grace then. How were these little children in the kingdom? They were in the kingdom by God's grace. God obviously wanted us to notice then the contrast. Here comes somebody else. And this is all about man's goodness. All about being good. As he was going out on the road, then one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? They had done, these children had done nothing. The fact that they are safe in the arms of Jesus totally due to God's grace. If infants were to die and go to hell, and I hear people suggest that all the time, they would burn there forever without having any knowledge of why. That doesn't fit. You remember what Abraham told the rich man in Luke chapter 16 when, he, uh, when the rich man opened up his eyes in hell? 
And Abraham said, son, remember. But an infant has nothing to remember. I don't believe that little infants or babies, little children die and go to hell. I don't believe it. I don't think I ever have believed it. If I ever did, I changed my mind so long ago that I don't even remember when I did. Jesus received the little children so that so many of them have gone on to heaven and many more will do so. How do they do it? By God's amazing grace. Then there's this man. He came running to Jesus and knelt before Him. That shows us the urgency of, he, of the need that He was feeling and the reverence that He showed Jesus. This was two things that wealthy Jewish rulers did not do. They didn't run and they didn't bow much. And so the fact that he came running to Jesus and bowed down before him, showing that kind of reverence was an amazing thing. Jesus then singles out two parts of his statement. First, he asked him, why do you call me good? We remember reading that. He said to him, good master, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but one saved God. What a great question. And so Jesus was honing in on that. Are you calling me good because you believe I'm the Son of God? Because you believe I'm God? To confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is to make that exact profession that Jesus is God. Do you believe then in your heart that Jesus is God the Son? Have you confessed it with your mouth so that you've made your profession of faith in Him? Do you believe that He died and was buried and rose again? Have you received Him as your Savior? This man was given the opportunity by Jesus Himself to say it. And how wonderful this story would be if He had said it. Yes, I believe. That's not what He said. See, Jesus knew fully well what was in this man's heart and what was in his mouth because he was asking him about human works. And he had a bunch. He was of the lineage of Abraham. He'd been circumcised the eighth day of his life. He was of one of the tribes, we don't know which. He had spent his life serving in the temple, serving in the synagogue. He was a ruler of Israel, much like Nicodemus was. Doesn't mean necessarily he was a rabbi. Uh, Nicodemus was a master of Israel, a ruler. Same concept. He was high up in Judaism. He was well respected and admired. He had everything going for him. He had kept the law. He considered himself blameless. This man had been immersed in a false religious system. That's what Judaism had become. And based on multitudes who believed in their own works to somehow create in them spiritual life. And the writer of the book of Hebrews later on in the New Testament gives us pivotal truth about that. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, Therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. You see, the foundation of this whole thing, and you know that's what has to go down first, the foundation of this whole thing was for them to repent from their dead works. All of those works of the law were dead works. 
Why? Because the people who were doing them were lost. They didn't know God. They thought they did, but they didn't. They thought their works were going to bring them righteousness. They didn't. There was something in this man's heart that was telling him that. Because all of his religious efforts, everything that his religion had taught him to do, had not brought to him the consciousness or awareness or peace regarding his spiritual condition. And folk, unfortunately, sadly, I'd say to all of you here and to those watching at home right now, there are still multitudes of people locked into a false religious system that tells them that if you go through all the rituals and you keep all the rules, then you can be sure you'll go to heaven when you die. It was a lie then. It's still a lie today. The idea of a works-based righteousness is with us still. You may be here in this building today or you may be watching from home and the same gnawing emptiness that this rich young ruler felt in his heart is there for you. He came running and fell at the feet of Jesus for a reason. Because all his religion had not brought him the peace and assurance of a relationship with God. There must be something I've missed. I know what he's saying. I've kept it. There's got to be something. There's got to be. I've missed something. My heart tells me that. I've missed something. Please, teacher, tell me what it is. Jesus pointed into the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He didn't quote them all. He just quoted a few of them. But that's what he was talking about. The Ten Commandments. And he answered and said, Teacher, all those things I've kept for my youth. Obviously, he hadn't listened to the Sermon on the Mount. Because if he'd have listened to the Sermon on the Mount, he would have found out that it wasn't just about committing the physical act of adultery. It was about lusting after somebody in your heart. So we're feeling lust, but God's writing down adultery. We hate our brother. God's writing down murder. I mean, Jesus had a whole bunch of those. Had he kept all these things from his youth? No. But in the case of this man, not only had he not kept them all, he hadn't got by commandment number one. You know what commandment number one was? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And this man had both his riches and his works before God. There's absolutely no question about that. That's why Jesus said how hard it is for them that trust in riches. He was trusting in his wealth and trusting in his works. Jesus knew it. Told him then, well, this is in the way. <laughs> it reminds us of those words we looked at just a few weeks ago. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand is, it's better to get rid of that than to, to go to hell with those things. And so there was his wealth and his works between him and God. What Jesus telling him to do, get rid of that. Get rid of that. Get it out of the way. And take up your cross and come and follow me didn't. 
Jesus was not telling him, as many people have said over the years, that his wealth was bad. That's not it. Many people are blessed. Your labor has been effective and your business model works. You make money, maybe a lot of money. You're gifted and you're blessed. And as long as you know that you're gifted and blessed, you're okay. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, God said, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. A person who gets wealth, who realizes he's been blessed and that God has a purpose for giving him that so he can advance the kingdom agenda, uh, that's not a bad thing. It's not a wicked thing. This man was not one of those. His disastrous boast before Jesus, I've kept all the law, was going to condemn him to an eternal hell. See, the law of Moses had only one purpose. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. I hope you're hanging with me. We're almost done. Don't miss it. The law had only one purpose. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 spells it out for us. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. What did the law teach us as a schoolmaster? It taught us the absolute impossibility, as Jesus puts it in this text, of us getting to heaven or making it to heaven or gaining God's approval and blessing on the basis of our works. We can't do it. There's only ten. It's not like it's a legal code of the United States. There's only ten. You'd think we could do ten. Adam and Eve didn't do well when there's only one. Neither did this man. Neither do any of us. Interestingly, in our text, we see that the law had brought the rich young ruler to Jesus. And I agree with what I read this week from one writer. He said, if the law doesn't drive you to repentance and to calling on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then the law will drive you straight to hell. And that's true. But the law had brought him to Jesus. It brought him running to him on his knees before him. But he went away sorrowful, even more sorrowful than when he came. He thought he had kept the whole law, but he hadn't even made it past the first commandment. He came to Jesus lost, and he left lost. Only worse. The Bible warns us about how dangerous it is to reject God's call to salvation. Jesus put it right before him. Why do you call me good? Are you going to make a profession of faith? Jesus knew he wasn't. He knew what was in his heart and he heard what was coming out of his mouth. He knew exactly where he was. But he gave him that opportunity to put those things behind and to believe on him, to follow him. Every rejection that you make of Jesus Christ may be your last. Every rejection makes your heart harder. Every time you say no to Jesus, it makes it easier to say no the next time. This man came running to Jesus and bowed before Him and he went away worse than when he came. Of such is the kingdom. We might as well add what Jesus so obviously added for us of such isn't the kingdom. 
So let's wrap it up this morning. I want to remind you that little children, if they die before they reach the age of accountability, will go straight to the arms of Jesus in heaven for all eternity. Not because they're innocent, they're not. Not because they deserve it, they don't. Not because they believe, they can't. Babies and infants and little children go to heaven if they die because of the grace of God. And let me quickly then follow that up by saying, if you and I go to heaven when we die, it will be by the same grace of the same God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's Titus 3 and 5. We see the death of infants and little children as the ultimate tragedy. a lot of babies that never get to see their mama or their daddy. The first thing they'll ever see is the glory of heaven and the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. We say, but man, look at what they miss. Yeah. Look at what they miss. They never see the evil violence and oh but I didn't get to spend a life with them I know David said when he and his wife Bathsheba had lost a little boy in infancy 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 22 he said while the child was yet alive I fasted and wept for I said who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live but now he is dead wherefore should I fast can I bring him back again I shall go to him but he shall not return to me I'll go to him see there's a lot of parents that have children they've never met a lot of grandparents have grandchildren they've never met. I've got to be. I'm sorry. Many parents have children they've only known for a few moments. David said, I'll go to my little boy that's died. You will too. They're in heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like to meet them. But I look forward to it. I can go to him. Can you say that? Do you have that assurance? Your child's already there. Maybe that when you lost, you think. He's not lost. You're not where he's at. He's safe in the arms of Jesus. Do you have the assurance that you're going to go to him or her? How can I have that assurance? By grace. Through faith. Aren't these a great couple of stories?
Permit the little children to come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And those children are there by the grace of God. And that's the only way for you to go there is by the grace of God. You're in this service today and maybe you're under horrible conviction because you know you need to be saved. You're watching from home. You know it. You've felt that convicting power of the Holy Spirit today as you have maybe many times before. Don't turn Him away. Don't turn Him away. God does not ask you to clean up your life. God does not ask you to turn over a new leaf. God does not ask you to be a better person. God asks you, tells you, commands you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that everything that had to be done for you to be saved was done by Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith. What do we do? Believe it. Believe it. And you'll receive God's free gift of salvation. Did you do it now? Maybe you've been saved, but you had not been baptized. Maybe you're saved and baptized. You need a church home. What you need is one like this one. We preach the Bible, teach the Bible, try to help folks. And maybe you believe God's leading you to be a part of this church family. I want us to stand